Welcome to the NCO Journal Podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Brandon Cox, Senior Editor of the NCO Journal. Today we discuss the article, The Cure for Distress, by Captain Andrew J. Bibb with the 2nd Infantry Brigade Combat Team, 82nd Airborne Division. With us is Chaga Zapata, Managing Editor of the NCO Journal. Sir, thank you for joining us today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, name's Captain Andrew Bibb. I am currently uh, at CGSC at Fort Belvoir, but I just came out of the position uh, as the S-9 Civil Affairs Officer for 2nd Brigade 82nd. So talking about your article, sir, the first time I read it, I really loved it. I actually thought, you know, wow, like what a, what a great way to engage with your junior soldiers in your brigade uh, to try to get a more positive outcome and improve your leadership. What, what initially gave you the idea to write the article? The article was a result of the work that we had done over the preceding two years. Um, and, and I, I imagine we'll, we'll get into the details of that, but uh, I, I, me and, and our public affairs officer were trying to figure out a way that we could capture at least the big points, the main takeaways, um, both for the unit and to distribute you know, across, the, across the wider force uh, and decided that uh, doing a, just capturing those, those high notes and the, the key takeaways in an article would be the best way to, uh, to crystallize it and then and package it to be able to share share with others so that was the big reason for for writing the article itself uh, it was like hey, we've done a, done a bun- bunch of good work over the past few years we don't want to just lose it i really found it interesting though that you created this brigade culture engagement team it's something that i hadn't heard of and i kind of wondered if you could talk a little bit about the team and how it came to be yeah, absolutely. So uh, it started when we were uh, we were in Iraq supporting OIR. Second Brigade was, and uh, I was on staff for uh, the commander at the time, um, Colonel Phil Henry. And we started looking at what priorities we wanted to get after upon redeployment and. One of his big concerns was really digging into our organizational culture and making sure that that is healthy uh, and productive and identifying any of the big problems that we needed to fix. Because um, he, he came at it with the mindset, um, which is really made for a great uh, a working environment. He came at it from the mindset that a, a healthy organizational culture makes for more lethal paratroopers or more lethal soldiers um, and realizing that that just doesn't happen automatically he took me and the public affairs officer kind of as the core of the team and focused us in on understanding our organizational culture especially at kind of squad level and below and uh, identifying providing actionable solutions to to improve that culture so the team itself it really it started the the core of it throughout the couple years we were doing it was me 
uh, the civil affairs officer and uh, my counterpart, the public affairs officer. Now around that team, uh, we brought in the chaplain, our brigade, uh, brigade behavioral health officer, um, and our SHARP team, our equal opportunity team, just to, again, help us understand some of those specific issues within the organization and also help us identify uh, solutions. Another thing we did was we started to pull in NCOs from across all the battalions who were well respected by their peers and were kind of looked at as your ideal tactical level leaders. And we started meeting with them regularly. And one thing that made this different, because you know, we, we hear about sensing sessions happening all the time. What made this different was one, um, to be part of this, you had to be nominated by your peers and subordinates. So it was uh, NCOs who were really getting tactical leadership right through the eyes of their subordinates. And the other piece was we met with them regularly and cons consistently. It wasn't just a, a one-off sensing session and then you don't talk to them again. These were uh, routine, repeated engagements with the same NCOs from across the force. So, um, so that we could build solutions together rather than us up on the brigade staff just trying to impose these solutions on the organization. Uh, these NCOs gave tactical level ownership to the project. I have a, a quick question about your uh, brigade culture engagement team. Now, did you did you uh, did you, did your team include any like any younger soldiers as part of the team? Yes, uh, we did have. So a couple of our NCOs were brand new team leaders who I think were just barely in their twenties. And some of the junior enlisted that that we talked to fairly frequently were um, still in their teens, had been in the unit for a very brief period of time. Because that's another consideration too. Your your perspective is affected in a lot of ways by how long you've been in the unit, um, and like you said, what what rank and what age you're looking at it from. So, so yeah, we, we thought that was a key insight to glean was, was those young paratroopers who, this was probably their first duty station. They didn't know what they didn't know um, and just kind of pulling them in for that perspective. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was one of the, the things that came up when I was one of the questions that came up for me when I was reading the article too is when you discussed vernacular. You know, it's one thing because I, I was a recruiter for three years, and you know, uh, practicing the vernacular when you're in your 30s with kids who are in their teens, it just doesn't come out right. So I guess you have to have the right perspective and the right individuals as part of that that team that you're that uh, the the culture culture engagement team. Uh, if you have the right individuals there, I'm sure that it made it that much easier to, to, to reach the, your audience, your target audience. Absolutely. And so we kind of, for ongoing operations for the team, we had it split up in kind of two, two lines of effort. Uh, it was a, we, we turned it into a feedback loop. 
So the public affairs officer was responsible for uh, disseminating the commander's message throughout the formation. And what I did, and that uh, uh, my E5 counterpart, I told you about her name, Sergeant Mendez, uh, what she and I did was elicit feedback on what that, the impact of that message was, if we were getting that vernacular right, and whether that message was even reaching that brand new E2 18-year-old who just got to the unit a couple weeks ago. Um, and <laughs> what we found, we started get the, getting the, the vernacular right, but the biggest hurdle that we ran up against was just making sure that the commander's um, message, his intent got down to that, that junior enlisted soldier. Um, because you think about how many echelons and levels of leadership are in between the brigade commander and, and your junior enlisted, that's a lot. So uh, we, that's something that we struggled with continually. Um, and it showed me just how important good leaders are at every level, because if that message stops at one of those levels, uh, whether it's uh, battalion, company, platoon, it, it, it doesn't matter where it stops to that junior enlisted soldier. He or she just knows that they're not getting the information. A couple things, sir. How often do you think the, uh, or how often does the team meet? So uh, our brigade commander put me and the civil affairs, or I'm sorry, the public affairs officer together in an office, actually just like right down the hall from the brigade commander's office. So we work together uh, all day, every day, uh, as well as Sergeant Mendez, um, my NCO counterpart. So that the core of the team was, was together all the time and working almost exclusively on this. Uh, and then for the NCOs that we brought in from the battalions, it was largely driven by um, training schedule, op tempo. My target was at least once every two weeks. Uh, we sometimes hit that, sometimes didn't. Kind of, sometimes it was like more, more like once a month. Um, but uh, it, it was more importantly than the span of time between was for me was the consistency. So just making sure that even if those touch points don't line up perfectly to a schedule that we're at least having them and we're able to create that shared understanding and identify new problems, see if the solutions that we've come up previously were working to address older problems. So between two weeks and a month seemed, seemed to work for us. Yes, sir. Reason I ask is, you know, I think it's important that we kind of identify what, made it work for you guys to help it implement into other brigades across the army. I think it'd be very beneficial. Um, what were some of the topics that were brought up when, so I guess my question is when your team met, did you guys just open conversation to a topic or is that where you brainstormed ideas to ask soldiers questions and things like that? I would come to the meeting with, with some things that through through surveys and through just talking to the paratroopers, it, it, it seemed like were issues that needed to be addressed. But uh, what usually happened was the, the NCO team was really good 
about coming ready to ready to talk about the issues that they saw. So my role became more of trying to keep the conversation on track um, and less trying to answer specific questions. They got really good at providing and kind of guiding us in on what the big questions were that that needed addressing. Um, an example, and this is kind of a minor example, but there were some there were there were some rumors flying around about um, programs uh, like boss events that some units or some people weren't going to be able to take advantage of because we're only reserving them for these other people and yada 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 uh which was absolutely not true but it's amazing how when a, a rumor like that pops up just how quickly it it spreads so a, a lot of what we were doing was identifying these rumors that came up and so often it would be like well i thought that was a brigade commander's policy uh no that's absolutely not the brigade commander's philosophy or policy. His policy is the exact opposite. Um, so they would come to come to the meetings with with issues that they saw, uh, and uh, a lot of times the brigade commander himself would come in and talk with these NCOs and kind of chair the meeting himself, um, so they could hear straight from the boss. No, that absolutely was not my intent with that policy or that message. Uh, I need you to help me clarify that across the force. What were the biggest challenges? Yeah, it's, I'd say two things. One, um, it, 82nd is a busy place. Uh, all, always has been and always will be. So trying to uh, um, trying to get individuals to slow down enough to be able to talk through organizational culture issues and solutions. Um, when you've got, you know, a JFE coming up, you've got huge field exercises, you've got a deployment readiness exercise, you're packing to go to JRTC, you know, it's, it's hard because organizational culture is such you know when it's healthy and you know when it's not healthy but it's still a kind of an intangible um, aspect of of our day-to-day -day work that it's easy for those tangible things those tasks to crowd it out what i will say is uh, it, the leaders that especially at uh, company level uh, company commanders, company first sergeants were very good at allowing their NCOs and junior paratroopers that we wanted um, to talk to and to help us work through this stuff. They were very good at, at giving them the time and space to be able to do that. Uh, but, you know, all of us together are fighting this, this training schedule. So we had to be, us, the team had to be very deliberate. Uh, and thoughtful about how we planned for these touch points. The other big issue, issue, and I think this is true for any large organization, is getting getting that message from the brigade commander all the way down to the junior paratrooper. Um, and we, we, we came up with so many ways to try to do that. Uh, 
some of which worked kind of, some of which didn't. We, um, we set up a weekly uh, brigade podcast that I ran with uh, Sergeant Mendez and a public affairs officer uh, to try to get directly to the paratrooper. Our, our public affairs officer ran the, all the brigade social media um, and then just those direct engagements with paratroopers. Um, but it, it is still, because there are so many priorities and so many levels between the brigade commander and the junior paratrooper, um, it, it, was, it was difficult to get the message down to that level. I think one of the best ways, and we couldn't catch everyone doing this, but we really used the newcomers briefs, the mandatory brigade newcomers briefs that everyone from your brand new E1 to your new battalion commander had to be at. And we could lay all this out for them up front. It was run by the brigade commander, and then uh, I would I would come in and and fill in the details with the rest of our brigade team. So that that was a, that was a good way to catch everyone to start out from a level playing field. Um, but it's you know messaging communication in a big organization is that's a big hurdle. Well, you you mentioned briefly in your article too about uh, getting rid of toxic leaders that that is a touchy subject i would say because it's not an easy thing to say you have somebody who who say you have somebody who is a um, who is toxic to the organization one way or the other uh can you tell you tell us a little bit about how you you know how, how your unit handled these kind of challenges one of the one of the and obviously i can't talk details but one of the the, the biggest cases that we had came out in a online survey that we actually set up through, um, we just used SurveyMonkey, um, and it was based off of um, what's called the Organizational Trust Index. Uh, it, it's like put together by a team out of University of Colorado and kind of engages where you, your organization is in organizational trust. But we also included a write-in section uh, on this uh, survey and um, there were there were a few things that came up in that write-in that uh, warranted looking into. Um, so we uh, what we took from that was the name of the game here is awareness is not 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 assuming that every leader that a paratrooper says is toxic is really toxic. Um, they may or may not be, but what it does do is it gives us, it puts it on our radar and, uh, and it's something, something that we can dig into and see if there, it really is a leadership issue. So, and obviously the, the brigade commander, he's, he's the one who, who makes the calls. So the, the role of the team was to increase his awareness of what was going on in his formation. And then he would make the decision on what needed to happen. But the better understanding that we could give him, um, the, the, the more effective uh, and sound his decisions are gonna be. And really, I, I approached it like I approached uh, being his civil affairs officer, uh, supporting Operation Inherent Resolve. Uh, my job was to give him the best understanding that I could 
so he to enable him to make the right decisions in a timely and effective manner. And uh, that's what I saw, saw our role uh, for him as in running this culture engagement team. That kind of leads into the, the whole trust aspect of your, of your article, the cure for distrust, you know, and how do you gain the trust of your troops if the leadership at, the, at the, their level is not quite um, what it should be? So obviously from, from just that one occurrence, I think that you're, what, you're, what you did, what you, what you guys executed, I think was, was very um, effective because, you know, even one person who's toxic to the organization, it can, it can have a domino effect on, on so many of the troops. So kudos to you for that. Yeah, thanks. And, and I really, I, I have a lot of respect for soldiers who, who step up and say something. Um, because it, it's it's a delicate issue, especially especially for leaders who because you know toxic leader is is kind of a well what does that really mean? Um, and it, it you know you you can call someone a toxic leader and maybe they are maybe they're not. But those soldiers who are at least willing to say this is my experience, uh, this is the climate that I feel is being created in X unit. Um, can you please look into it? Those who would come forward and I mean, they're doing, do, they're doing their, their buddies to their left and right, a big service, because if it really is a leadership issue uh, and we can get, either get that fixed or get a capable leader in there, man, they just, that person who made us aware of the issue just completely um, uh, influenced their own organizational culture by facilitating that leadership change. And, you know, it makes, it makes for a more effective fighting unit. I, I think that's one of the reasons, the main reason that I think I was so excited about your article is that you, you wrote something that if other organizations were to, were to latch onto it and, and use it themselves, it's something that could, that could have an effect across the force and that would uh, truly affect change in, in a positive way. Uh, for anybody who uses it, so you know, it's just again one of the things I, I thought was exciting about the article that I, that I uh, that that I welcomed, and because not, that's not something that we see in everything that we publish here in the NCO Journal. Uh, so when when it's something that, that that does affect the force this way, I think it's it's exciting for us. Yeah, I and kind of to that point. So as, as we were going through all of this, and we were we were trying to figure out. Um, Okay, what's what the culture that we want to have and how do we get, uh, we, were, we were looking at concepts and ideas and then we kind of realized we have amazing leaders in our formation already. We have uh, communicative, understanding, respectful and experts who are leading our formations. What we need to do is find them and give them a platform uh, so they they can share what they're doing right to the rest of the force. Um, we don't have to start from scratch. <laughs> we have NCOs and officers and even junior enlisted who are already doing. It. Um, so I, I think if I were if I were to give any single piece of advice from the the article is uh, to any organization you already have leaders who are. They cured to distrust. 
you got to find them and you got to amplify their influence. Um, so everyone else in the organization knows, hey, this is what right looks like. And I've got a flesh and blood example to emulate. I noticed in your article, sir, that uh, you did say you had a question that you offered to some of the junior enlisted that was, uh, if you could change one thing, what would it be? Um, I was intrigued because I, I kind of wanted to know, as, as I'm sure other people would, what, what were some of the unfiltered responses you got from that? Do you have any examples? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, as you would expect, we got some snarky ones, like uh, cancel JRTC or um, no more PT. Uh, stuff like that. But there, there were, there were actually, there was, uh, honestly, I would say three quarters of them, uh, those responses had to do with communication. Um, we need to communicate better with, I never know what's going on. Um, I, I don't know what the purpose of X training exercise is. I don't know why I'm going to the field. Uh, so, I, the majority of those had to do with communication, not only with what was happening, but the purpose of it. Because it's too easy to tell um, a, a brand new junior enlisted soldier, you're go here in this uniform to do this. And you know, you've got your task there, okay. But as important, if not more so, is the purpose. Because the purpose is what gives them that it, it what helps them internalize um, it, what makes that task that they're doing meaningful. If that task is not meaningful, uh, then they're not gonna, I mean, you can't care about something that has no meaning to you. So if you give them a good purpose, it becomes meaningful and they see the part that they're playing in that larger, uh, whatever it is, exercise or operation. Yeah, I especially loved your article, sir, because cause you created an article that's borderlined a new uh, program that focuses on people and soldiers and, and how they communicate with each other and, and what's important about that to, sh to, to build that shared trust and uh, understanding to build a more lethal force, which is essentially what the Army's trying to do all the time. And then you, you, you created a feedback loop within your brigade to give you answers to questions that you didn't know needed an answer to until you asked them. I think if every, if every brigade had a team like this to bring their NCOs in and actually have a direct line of contact with the command, it would be extremely beneficial. No, I, I appreciate it. I, I agree. And um, I, I think it's just, it's part of being a, a people oriented organization. You know, pe people first only means as much as the action that we take to make it mean something. Um, so yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Thank you all for joining us today on the podcast and a thank you to our audience. Remember to put your knowledge to the page, submit articles and get published with the NCO journal. Don't forget to check out our webpage and follow us on social media. We'll catch you next time on the NCO journal podcast. <laughs>